morning. Have you ever had a dream weaver moment? Anybody here ever had a dream weaver moment sometime in your life? I have had many of them. Just want to go on the record to say 100% of them have all been associated with my wife and nobody else, and she's sitting right here on the second row. Uh, but those dream weaver moments are, are wonderful. So today we're going to talk about the secret of great relationships. If you're new, that little bulletin on the back of it, there is an outline and there's a couple fill in the blanks and some scriptures and some thoughts that we have there. You can track along there. Is there a secret to great relationships? And does it even matter? Does it even matter? Do we even care? Do, do we even want, why do we even want to bother Aren't relationships kind of a pain sometimes? Do we want to go through the effort of having to be in these great relationships and go through all the work that that entails and hurt and pain? Well, here's the first fill-in. Life is not great without great relationships. Life is not great without great relationships. As goes our life, as goes our relationships, so goes our life. As goes our relationships, so goes our lives. So we can ignore that truth for a certain period of time. We can ignore a problem relationships, or we can say, I don't want relationships at all. And we can just try to go off on our own and think that everything's going to be fine. We can ignore the truth of that, but eventually it will catch up with us because what we will find, according to God's word, is that we need relationships. What we're going to find, according to studies that are done about people, about human beings, is we need relationships. God's word and studies jive totally together. Now, who needs relationships more? I need some feedback on this one. Men or women? Who needs relationships more, men or women? So what do you think? Huh? Is there a clear winner? Aren't women more relational? Okay. I always thought they were. Anyway, according to Time Magazine, uh, recently they did a study about marriage, and they say, and now we're talking all about all kinds of relationships. This just happens to be focused on marriage. But it says that men need marriage more than women. Do you believe that? Huh? Yes? Yes. I was getting ready to ask, why do you think that, ladies? But I'm not going to ask that. Okay. Men need more. Does that jive with what we read in the Scripture? Do we see any indication in the scriptures? According to this study in Time Magazine, you go back in the scriptures, is there any indication in the Bible that, yes, men need marriage and relationship more than women do? You go all the way back to Genesis chapter 1 and 2. So let's picture it for a second. Adam, the first man, there he is in the Garden of Eden in the place of total perfection. Everything is absolutely incredible. He has everything that he could want. He lacks for nothing. He's surrounded by beauty and abundance. He has no bills to pay, no boss to answer to, no alarms going off at 6 a.m. He's got none of that. There's not a mother-in-law in sight for miles, right? He's totally, he's got everything he wants. And then God issues the first negative statement that we find in the entire Bible. Up until this point, everything has been good. Until Genesis 2, verse number 18. God says it's good. It's good. As a matter of fact, it's very good. And then we get to Genesis 2, 18. And God looks at Adam in the garden, place of total perfection, where all of us would want to live. And God says, this is not good. This guy needs a relationship. This guy needs somebody because something is not good. We need relationships. Apparently, especially men. Now, this is just like the Corinthian church in the Bible. The book of 1st and 2nd Corinthians is written to a church who, even though they had everything like Adam did, they were a relational mess. They had many talents. They had high positions in that church. They had a lot of knowledge. 
They were smart. They were smart about the Bible. They had money, but they were a relational mess. This is like you and I. We can have lots of gifts and talents. You can have all kinds of stuff in your life. You could be gifted to do all kinds of things. You could be wealthy. You could have a high position. You could be super smart. Like everybody could just bow down and say, whoa, how smart you are. You might get up every morning. And when you look in the mirror, what you see in the mirror, all of a sudden Dreamweaver starts playing. As you look, at you'd be so good looking. And your heart beats faster just how great you look. And the song is playing. It's awesome. And you can have all that. You could have looks and beauty and money and all of that. But if your relationships are out of whack, then life is out of whack, isn't it? See, none of it matters without love. And this is what the scripture is trying to tell us today. So let's start with just a word of prayer. And then we're going to go through a little bit, kind of an overview of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. God, I thank you for the guidance that we receive from your word. As you know, we need it. Help us, God, to hear something today that will change our lives in the area of relationships particularly. And I ask this in Christ's name. Amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1, 2, and 3. This is what it says. It's on the outline or behind me. It says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. What is that saying? It's saying you could be great at, you could be a smooth talker. Like you might swoon everybody because you are just so good with words. It's unbelievable. Everybody's just melting because you're so good. You're a great orator. But if you don't have love, what they use, they use this big gong in the temple of worship, you know, 2,000 years ago, and it would just make a lot of noise. And if you don't have love, you're just making a lot of noise. It goes on in verse 2 and says, if I have the gift of prophecy, I can see the future. And I can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge. And if I have faith that can move mountains and I have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor, I surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I gain nothing. What is it saying? It gives us five things here that we could do that we think, oh, man, maybe some of these things you, you would have love to do something, like surrendering everything you have, giving. You must be a real loving person to do that. But you can do that. You can be sacrificial without having love. So what do we need to have great relationships? I'm going to do a little thing here, a little game, hint, game, name that tune. And so we've got five different songs. And if you recognize the tune, would you shout out the artist or shout out the name of this song that's being played? Okay, let's hit it, Ryan. You have made my life Who is that? Who's the, who's the singer? Elvis Presley. Elvis so Presley. He was here this morning, recorded that. Or he left. Number two, let's hear what this second one is. Jackie McLean. Jackie McLean. Your love lifted me higher, right? Your love. Okay. Let's go a little more current. A little more current. Number three. Anybody know the name of the song? Pride. Pride. Number four, even more current. Call your name two, three times in the world. Such a funny thing for me to try to Who explain. How I'm feeling in my pride is okay. the one yeah. All right, one last one. We're going to really test you on this one. Let's see. If you know the name of this artist on this last one, shout it out. Milo. So what we need, what we need, everybody, uh, 
to have great relationships is we need to have meatloaf. We need to have the meatloaf in our life because that's going to help. So um, is love the secret to great relationships? Well, here's what the Bible tells us. The Bible tells us a couple things about this. First of all, and there's four quick fill in the blanks. It says we should put on love. Colossians chapter 3, put it on. Clothe yourself in love. Philippians says we need to increase in love. And these are just a few. There are so many of these. Jesus Christ said in John 13, he says, you need to be identified by love. Like if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, people should identify. It should be your fingerprints. It should be your dental records. It should be your DNA. People come along, oh man, this is person. They're just filled with love. They must be a follower of Jesus Christ. John chapter 13. Finally, 1 Corinthians 14 says, we need to pursue love. So it's love the secret to great relationships. Is that what the secret is? I want you to put this down. This is very important. The next fill in the blank. The secret to great relationships is not love. It is not love. Why? Why would I say that? Here's why I say that. Dictionary.com, and it's written on the outline, this is the definition for love off of dictionary.com. Love is a feeling of warm personal attachment. What does that mean? Love is a dream weaver moment. Love is a warm, tingly feeling. Love is goosebumps. And then it goes on to say it's a sexual passion or desire. That's dictionary.com. That's why love is not the secret to great relationships. Now, I want you to compare dictionary.com to divinity.com. All right? Let's do that real quick. There's a big difference. So like if you were to go to heaven, hopefully not today, but if you were to go up to heaven and you go to the library in heaven, you pulled a dictionary off the shelf and you'd open it up and you wanted to read the definition to love. Here is exactly what it would say. First Corinthians chapter 13. This is so cool because this is what God defines love as being. It is a 15 point plan to love. This is what it says. First Corinthians says love is just like a dictionary does. What is love? Here it is from God's perspective. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy it does not boast it is not proud it is not rude it is not self-seeking it is not easily angered it keeps no records of wrongs love does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth it always protects always trusts always hopes always perseveres love never fails there is not a feeling there at all those are all decisions those are all decisions. This is such a huge contrast between dictionary.com and the divinity.com. This is the problem that we have. And sometimes the world comes along and says, you know what? If you're in love, you need to have the, you need to have the dictionary.com version. And then when it all dries up, we don't know what's happened. And God says very clearly here, here are 15 decisions that you can make. This is God's 15-point plan to becoming a great lover. And what we're going to do over these eight weeks is we are going to figure that out. We are going to plan our work. Here's the plan. God gives it to us. You know, you've heard the old saying, plan your work, then work your plan. Well, God's given us the plan. Now for the next eight, eight weeks, we're just going to simply work that plan over and over again. So the secret to great relationships is God's definition of love. That's the secret to great relationships. God's definition of love. Now, the word that is used here is a Greek word called agape. There is three words in the Greek for love. Eros, which was sex. Phileo, which is brotherly love. The city of Philadelphia is the city of what? Brotherly love. And then finally, agape. You don't find agape 
very often in ancient Greek writings. But what you do find is, is in the New Testament, it is the most common word that is given to love. Agape love. And here's what agape is. It is love is a determined act of the will. I'm going to say that again, and I'm going to ask you to help me to repeat that because this is critically important. This is so vastly different from dictionary.com. Love is a determined act of the will. Could you please repeat that with me? Love is a determined act of the will. You make a determination. I am going to do this thing whether I feel like it or not. I'm going to make this decision whether I feel like it or not. I'm going to do that. And I'm not expecting warm tinglies. I'm not expecting goosebumps. I'm going to do this. Love, agape love, is not passive. It is active. It's abstract. Feelings can be so abstract. Well, what's it feel like? I don't know. I got all this stuff in my stomach, you know, and it's woohoo. You know, it's not abstract. It's very, very concrete. It is highly practical and tangible. This, this is solid. This is clear. These are things that all of us put into place right here, right now, today. Solid. There's no mystery to this. Totally, totally clear. Like, if I ask you, okay, love right now. If love is a warm, tingly feeling, can you make yourself warm and tingly right now? Don't tell us if you can, all right? (laughs) Don't tell us if you can. But for most of us, we can't just, oh, boom, spontaneously, warm, tingly. We can't do that. But what we can do right here, right now, is we can make one of these 15 decisions. We can decide, we can make a determined act to choose love. So, okay, case in point. In just a few minutes, we're going to end the service. Everybody's hungry. It's getting around noontime, right? So we all want to get out and eat. So all of a sudden, all of these chairs are going to empty and everybody's going to go up the aisle. Now you've got a decision to make. You're hungry. You want coffee. You want food. Whatever it is that you want to fill yourself up with, and you want to get out that aisle. Now you can walk, and you can like ignore that person who's trying to get out of that aisle right with you, right? You can like, I, I really don't see them. If I don't see them, they're probably not there. So I'll just keep going, and I'll cut them off. And you get past them, then you feel guilty. You turn and say, Oh, I didn't see you there. Praise Jesus. Have a great day. God bless. And we we go on, or we could choose, or we could choose patience, right? We could choose kindness. We say, Oh, I'm so pleased. You go first. There's love. It's something every one of us can do. We can make that choice. It's really, really clear. There's no mystery to it. It's solid. It's clear. I don't wake up one morning and I say to myself, you know what, John? It just feels like a patient day. I just just feel patience all over me today. I feel kindness. I feel forgiveness. Woo! I'm going to go out and just, just, I'm going to love the whole world because I feel it. No, no. We wake up and we say, I'm going to choose to be patient when I feel like being impatient. Today, I'm going to choose to be kind when I feel like being rude. Some of us have problems with our boss. We have a problem with somebody at work, co-worker, a boss, or whatever. Now, there's a decision to make. If you go on your feelings, there's no telling what you're going to do. But if you want to make a decision in keeping with love, then you don't, in a weak moment for your boss, when you want to get back at them, you don't like, okay, now I got to, bam, I'm just going to, I'm going to nail them, I'm going to retaliate, I'm going to bring them down, right? We don't do that because we choose love. If we're having problems with a friend or a coworker, or who here is having a problem with their spouse? Good, nobody raised their hand. In the first, in the, in the first service, I did that, and a couple people put their hand, I said, man, you're in big trouble. Okay, so, uh, or our kids or fellow commuters on the road, we 
choose love. And what we are going to do over these eight weeks is we are going to drill down into this very clear 15-point plan that God gives us, decisions that we can make, and we're going to work these 15 decisions over. It's going to be highly practical. It's going to be totally tangible. There are going to be things that we do. We're going we're gonna to separate them out. I'm going to take them all at once. We're going to take them at bits and pieces and things that we can do to become better lovers in God's viewpoint and have better relationships according to him. 1 Peter 4, 8 says this, Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. What are sins? Sins are problems. Love covers a multitude of problems. Now, here's what I want to ask you this. Think about this. Is the opposite true? So does a lack of love cause a multitude of problems? Does a lack of love cause a multitude of problems? We need to work this plan of 1 Corinthians chapter 13 over and over again in these next few weeks. The number one thing that God wants to produce in our lives is love. The number one thing that God wants to produce in our lives is love. This is God's will for our life. Now, often I ask myself and people ask me, John, what's God's will? You know, what should I do about this? Well, here is clearly God's will above and beyond everything else. And if we'll put this where it's supposed to be, things can begin to fall into place about all the nitty gritty underneath of that. God makes it really clear. A group of people come to Jesus Christ. They say, Jesus, can you boil the entire Bible down into one thing? He says, sure, I can. Love. Love God. Love others. That's it. Clearly. Paul ends 1 Corinthians 13 by saying this is, now there remain three things, faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of those is love. He starts the whole chapter by what I just read a few moments ago. If we don't have love, we don't have anything. Why do we want to bother again with this? Here's what it hits me. This is no longer a mystery to me. When somebody talks to me about love and I have these thoughts in my head or movies that I see or whatever about this is the way it's supposed to be, this is the way it's supposed to feel, and when am I going to feel, when are those feelings going to hit me in such a way, no longer is love a mystery to me. It's very clear. It's very tangible. There's no mystery to it whatsoever. It's solid. It's 15 decisions, determined acts that I make. Here's the other reason that I bother with love. Because God commands us to bother with love. God says, put it on, increase in it, be identified by love. You know, Jesus says in his great, Jesus prayed a prayer in John 17. It's called the high priestly prayer of Jesus Christ. It's the longest prayer. It's an entire chapter dedicated to Jesus. And he prays in this prayer. He says, God, you know, if, if my followers are unified, then the whole world is going to know that I am the savior. Whoa. So you think about people trying to figure out, is Jesus Christ really the savior? Jesus says, if my followers are unified, they're going to know. Where does unity come from? Let's think about this a second. How are we unified? Are we unified because like a group of us in this room right here is, you know, if, if we're followers of Christ, is, is it because we have total agreement? No. No. Unity is not based on total agreement. Unity is based on love because we don't all agree about everything. There's no way in this room. We have all kinds of different opinions. We're not robots. Unity is based on love. And I am commanded, you are commanded to be a person of love. Our leader, our general, says that we should increase in love. And because he says so, we should. We should pursue love with everything that we have. I want to give you one last scripture verse, and then we're going to conclude. 
Galatians 5, 22 and 23, the fruit of the Spirit. This is what it says. But the fruit of the Spirit is, and notice what leads the list of nine items here. It says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. This is what we call the fruit of the Spirit. Now, some of you love that. Uh, I've enjoyed listening and reading that verse over the years and people trying to explain that to me. I've got to admit, I have a problem with that verse. Here's my problem. The moment I read it or somebody reads it to me or talks to me about it, when somebody says the fruit of the Spirit, you know the thing that my mind sees immediately? It sees apples and oranges and pears. And I can't get past the apples and the oranges and pears. So, so you know, God wants to produce apples in my life. God wants to produce pears in my life and, and oranges and stuff like that. It just, it slips me up. So here's what I want to explain to you. The word fruit here simply means to produce. It's a production. And so if you're like, all right, if that, is that, if that hits you the same way, here's the way I look at it. You and I, each one of us are our own little factory. You're a factory. I'm a factory. Everybody in here is a factory. Our number one product that we're supposed to produce in this little factory that we run is love. It's our number one product. We have to produce love. Now, there is a problem inside of the factory. There is internal turmoil. There's conflict. There's some voices inside the factory that want to change love up. They say, you know what? We need to change a few ingredients in this product of love that we're making. Like, I think that we should get rid of the patience part of it. That's not working out too well. And the thing about, you know, gossip and not delighting in evil, well, that kind of makes me feel good. So I, let's, let's get rid of that portion of it. And, you know, not retaliating to people who do us wrong. Let's get rid of that. So let's make changes. And there's another group of people who say, you know what? Woo! Let's throw it all out. We need a whole extreme makeover of love. Like, let's totally change the product line. Let's call it love. But instead of the 15-step plan, why don't we just make a potion up? Like people can drink this potion and they'll feel all warm and tingling, get goosebumps all over their body spontaneously. What if we could do that? So there's all this conflict. Now you're the CEO. You're the CEO. It's your factory. What do you decide to do? I just want to make a suggestion. Fire yourself. You need to fire yourself. And in place of you, you need to hire Jesus Christ to become your CEO. You need to let him sit behind the desk because we're told in 1 John 4, 8 that God is love. God doesn't love. God is not loving. It doesn't say that. It says something totally different. It says that God is love. What does that mean? It means God is the expert when it comes to love. There's nobody who can implement the 15-step plan better than Jesus Christ can. Love is a determined act of the will, and we will definitely need divine help to carry it out. We're not going to be able to do this on our own. Jesus says in John 15, he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. We can walk right out this door. As you know, I'm going to be a lover. I'm going to do it all on my own. I'm going to take this 15-step plan, and in my own strength, in my own power, I'm going to overcome. Like people are going to come from all over the world just to look at love personified in me. And we're not going to make it. Because apart from God, we can't do it. It's hard enough with God living in our lives to pull this off. So I have a couple suggestions. And the first one is this. If you have not made Jesus Christ the CEO of your life, if you've not given him that chair and that desk to be the leader of your life, I want to ask that you consider doing that today. You'll see on that wall there's a little sign that says prayer team. There'll be a prayer team over there after. And if you'd like to make Jesus Christ the CEO of your life, 
and you would like somebody to pray with you, I encourage you to go over and ask the prayer team to pray with you. They'd love to do that. Second thing I want to suggest, memorize the 15-step plan over these next eight weeks. You could memorize these four short verses, as smart as you guys are, in probably three or four days. But memorize each step of the 15-step plan, committed to memory. So when you are, you come up against certain situations, when you're driving down the road and somebody cuts you off and you feel like sticking up a hand with one finger on it, you think, oh, oh, wait a minute. There's a, there's a step in the 15-step plan that talks about that. When your boss does something that makes you angry or your spouse, ah, there is a point in the 15-step plan that speaks exactly to what I'm going through right now. Third, I want to ask you to pray. Pray about it. We are going to need God's help. I want to ask you and invite other people to pray with you. Again, the prayer team is over there. They've been thinking about this and praying about this. We, there's not a one of us in this room that doesn't need some serious help when it comes to being this kind of lover for God. And finally, choose love. This is a determined act of the will. This will take, this will take resolve. Like there's no wimps allowed in this thing because this is not going to be easy. This is not about a feeling. This is not about something that's abstract. But if you'll take that challenge for these next eight weeks and you'll follow the 15-step plan that God lays out for us, I believe when these eight weeks are over, your loving will be at a different level. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that when it comes to something that is so emotional, something that in this world can seem so abstract and is based on a feeling, I want to thank you, God, that you take all the mystery out. All the mystery is gone. And that you lay out for us this 15-step plan to becoming better lovers and to improving our relationships. Now, God, life is all about relationships, as you tell us. And God, all over this room, there are people who have good relationships, and there's many of us in this room that we have a relationship or multiple relationships that are in dire straits right now, right now, today. Father, there are decisions that are before us. We've read these 15 decisions this morning, and you've spoken to some of our hearts, and we're just... We're right in the middle of that. We're waffling back and forth. Do I want to do it? Do I want to do it? Which way do I want to go? God, I pray that you would give every one of us the strength and the resolve to choose the right path, to choose love. It will not be easy, but we need your help. We need your strength so our relationships can be where you want them to be. Bless and help each one of us here, Father. In your holy name, I ask and pray. And everybody said, amen. Okay, God bless you. The music team's just going to play some music. If you'd like prayer, we're right over here. Other than that, have a wonderful day.